0: listeners and welcome to another episode of compare and campaign i am your host tom lando and with me as always is my co-host and co-dm miguel oh i said dm lately i've been saying gm and really i think well there's been times that you've been the dm for a stretch but i i feel like maybe overall you've been a gm right
1: GM seems to be the more general term that is shared by a lot of RPGs. DM appears to be exclusively Dungeons and Dragons. So it makes sense that I'm the, the GM more than the DM. But hey, you know what? Today I am the DM.
0: Oh, shit. We go over this a lot, actually, at the start of our episodes. Uh, This is episode uh, 141? I think so. Yeah, 141 recorded on the 2nd of march 2023 uh yeah what what's this about you being a dm what you are you what bring it just bring it dungeons and dragons to the danger room
1: nah man i don't have a new system that i'm gonna profile this week tom i was hoping maybe uh,
0: you'd bring dungeon crawl classics oh i don't, know, uh, I don't hey, know what they
1: do future episode but uh, talk about no, that current this
0: character funnel.
1: I'll tell you a bit more about my reasons for this, but I just haven't had time since our last episode to research a new game system. However, the reason I haven't had a lot of time is I've been too busy DMing games. So on this show, I'm going to talk a bit about what I've been doing DMing. And also about the game content that I've been putting together with the help of ChatGPT. That's right, I'm going to continue our little exploration of ChatGPT and tell you how I've managed to put together two adventure modules on a tight schedule just using this, this thing and the resources we've talked about previously on the show as well. Maybe by the end of this episode, the listeners, the DMs in our audience we'll be able to put together an adventure module with like a 24 hour turnaround and be ready to run it the very next day.
0: Well, hey, uh, you know, spending most being busy running games, D and D running RPGs is the way to do it. That's the way to be way to be. Yeah.
1: If ever there was a legitimate reason for me to be too busy to do work on this show, it's that I was playing D and D.
0: And, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, maybe, uh, maybe people hear us talk about all this AI stuff are going to come at us. They're going to say, you know, Guillermo del Toro called AI art the death of art. Did you hear about uh, this? Ah,
1: well, I mean, everybody's got a hot
0: take. You know What'd what you I say? said about that is, uh, I think he's just scared he'll have to make a good movie again. No Hey-o, snap, Crimson oh, Peaks, get out of here.
1: Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> no, I'm gonna. I I mean, I'm gonna talk about that as well. I, I got a lot. This is gonna. My my portion of this episode is gonna be a real sampler. We're gonna check in on the campaigns that I've been running that I've said in the past. I'm not gonna talk about the whole campaign because a lot of it is just me playing the hits. But I'll talk about the stuff. In the, in the campaign that is not the Play in the Hits content. I'll talk about how I put together the latest adventure modules that I've run uh, with help from ChatGPT, and then we can also touch upon, if we feel like it, the grander debate of AI, what's it. I, I don't even know how much we need to say, because I think my opinion is just like, well, it's here. Like, it's here. You're kind of a fool if you don't use every tool available to you. Uh,
0: we can get
1: into more of that later.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I may have some uh, uncharitable things to say. I'm not sure. <laughs> so what it about, might, might about be another AI? uh About...
1: About people being... About being,
0: what AI uh, is saying or doing about our society and... Uh, Oh, yeah I, mean, I don't know we'll see we'll see uh, it <laughs> might be another uh, grumpy grump episode
1: it's gonna it's gonna get spicy in the second half
0: oh uh, maybe but in the meantime do you want to hear about my thing
1: yeah what are you telling us about this time
0: so coyotes Aegis uh we're covering operation through glass another uh worm act joint. So, an act based on the self-titled album by Wormoroboros. This time, uh, based on the module, uh, DDEX 311, so Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League ex- Expeditions. Uh, season 3, Episode 11, The Quest for Spordome. This is one with a bunch of myconids. Them mushroom people. You can call them lots of things. Mush- mushroom mans... Uh, fungus folk fungoids uh etc
1: campestries
0: you know oh yeah yeah yeah, those guys yeah do you know um i mean if i if i ask you to visualize the map of drail like the map of uh the deathlands perhaps do you like have a visualization of that map in your head
1: I mean, not a very detailed one, but I got sort of like the shape of the continent in a few key areas. Do I need it in front of me? I can always look it up.
0: That's the thing is that you can go to the show notes on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com and look it up. It's a pinned one. Uh, You just want to see like the Deathlands one that covers the the tour of the the Deathlands tour from the, the earlier acts. But really, yeah. The this only... is
1: the this is the second image and the first post, at the top of compareandcampaign.wordpress.com.
0: And the only thing you're really looking at that for is because uh, do you see the forest agalock there?
1: Forest agalock.
0: It's like down in the lower left-hand corner of. Oh, it.
1: that's. That's the Agaloc forest down there. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, so that's, that places it, you know, you can sort of see on the coast, uh, north from there, there's the Omega base. So last time in the previous episode, they went south from Omega base directly to Agaloc by land. This time they are going to be getting on a boat, taking that around the coast Going to egglock via the southern coast, cutting in that way, and that is going to allow them to sort of recon a different angle of the forest does that make sense
1: yeah, I see what you mean
0: yeah okay uh so but first we gotta we gotta get our mission we gotta go back to Omega base and uh get get our mission so the mission the party is given the task of escorting Therion, the Empox demonic extraplanar officer, and secretly, a minister! They keep getting that! Oh man, they didn't know who was the ministers, but I'll tell you, last time Kalkin was, this time, Therion was. Um, and they're escorting Therion into that southern chunk of Agalok to seek out a specific samples of a specific... Uh fungus that has been detected in that area by the scouts there, uh, who have, you know, been doing the same thing. Like they are the, sort of the southern scouts who arrive by boat and then uh, get picked up by the boats and head back to the base. Or just to uh decima along that southern coast because it's a big city. Point being, uh there's been this fungus discovered there, and Therion wants the, the party to—or really, the Empok wants the party to escort Therion into the forest there, find, uh like, where these fungus samples are coming from, and, like, Therion is going to gather up a whole bunch of them because this fungus— uh they it may be useful in creating a potent psychic vaccine and this is something that is from the module uh and becomes very important throughout uh this season three of the adventures league um going forward is brain cap mushrooms brain cap mushrooms they're little oh, mushrooms that look like little brains on a little uh stock and uh Brain caps, if you, uh, eat them, they protect you from madness. They give you advantage, uh, against, um, or, or shoot. Am I even right about that? Uh, right. Okay. So an untreated brain cap mushroom, when consumed or administered to someone else as an action, the mushroom acts as a greater restoration, but only as it pertains to reducing the recipient's madness level to zero. The brain cat mushrooms are potent, however, and if you consume more than one per adventure, you immediately gain 1d4 levels of madness with no saving throw. Um, this is actually the first uh, use of it is listed as a an Adventurer's League uh, like unique reward from the quest for Spore Dome, which is like you now have this as a character. Uh, but... They come up in later adventures as well because you may have noticed this whole abyssal magical madness thing is getting to be more and more of a problem. If they have uh, a psychic antidote, some kind of thing, maybe even a vaccine against the ministry, you know, cause they need that as well. Um, this might be the, the ticket. What do you think of that?
1: The brain cat mushrooms. So, is this going to lead to a an M mushroom harvesting grow up operation?
0: Uh not exactly. It's just like like the operation is this is uh they need to take on in. theron's gonna collect a whole bunch of them and then uh I mean, yeah, may maybe uh it leads to like law larger harvesting operations long term that like the players don't have to be involved in. Um I don't just know. Doing, know, like, knowing increased... your
1: players i wouldn't put it i wouldn't have put it past them to suddenly become like like on the sly mushroom you know mushroom dealers or something as one of their their side plots
0: uh stay tuned for a later <laughs> act when that's what happen. i'm saying um just not in this act uh and not with the brain caps the brain caps uh Yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, So, uh, oh yeah, the other thing is that uh, in their briefing, they are also advised that uh, if they run into any myconids that they discover while they're in the forest, they should report it because there's been reports of myconids uh, from the scouts and they should be on the lookout. So it's a primary drop-off point on the coast that was designated as the SOS pickup point, an emergency location that agents could head for if they found themselves in a desperate predicament while deployed in the forest. Uh, Based on the module, there were three primary locations in this op. So the first of them is the SOS pickup point, the second is the Myconid refugee camp, and the third is the location of the brain cap mushrooms that Therian is looking for. Uh, each is a few hours away from the other, depending on the method of travel. Uh, but long rests taken within the haunted woods of Agalok lead to a DC 16 wisdom save against madness. Um, man, got to roll higher the you got to roll 16 or higher to not pick up a level of madness. If you try to sleep in this haunted ass forest.
1: And how wise were the characters?
0: I mean, um, Connor's definitely got a high wisdom as a cleric. Right. Uh I think as a f like as the type of fighter he was, uh Hexakila has a pretty good um sorry, a a pretty good uh oh or no, he has an ability that lets him reroll saves. I think he has like a limited number of times he can do it, but he can like give himself another try on a save. So he he often relied on that. Uh, and then Gent, um, I mean Gent did have decent wisdom and uh, had it trained as a as a rogue of their level. Um, so yeah, the three people that are currently in the party are decent in terms of wisdom. Um, they're certainly not terribly at risk. Uh, and also there's the whole advantage that, like, you know, I read that thing earlier about the brain cap being equal to a greater restore, but Connor has greater restoration as a life cleric. Like, that is one of the huge utilities of Connor, particularly as they keep running into this, um, you know, abyssal madness right he has the ability to cure it on the spot um but it's one of these situations where again it's it's one of the rare cases where they apply a sort of special effect to madness gained in this adventure where if you gain madness in this way in this adventure um you find yourself uh I had it be that you dream that you're lost in Egglock forever until the forest eventually closes in on you and you become enveloped by it and you become one with the forest. Um, There's a recent uh, spooky story, a comic in uh, 2000 AD about this. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be ages ago. Man, we are so, our episode came out, we are so late on the D&D and crisis that it already happened. (laughs) <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. Point i mean being...
1: but, but like i think we even said it on those episodes or it's like what what more do we even actually need to say about us everybody's got a hot take so yeah know, maybe, maybe it's better that we talk about it now that the fire has died down
0: <laughs> maybe uh see so... us uh
1: see us a month from now when we talk about chat gpt but you know in a month it'll be some new thing
0: yeah, probably. Uh, not me. Um, so, yeah, I, it should also be explained. So, like, this is the way I did this madness. Um, to contextualize things, in the module, this whole thing takes place in the Underdark. Like, a lot of what you're going to see me representing as Agalok having this inherent sort of curse on it, or this this... It's a, like a spooky ass haunted forest that causes madness the longer you stay there. And so long rests are, are risk these wisdom checks They're saves. But um, in the module, it's not Egglock, it's the Underdark. And it's that uh, fair zest, Fair's Rest thing, fire, Fire's Rest, uh, whatever the like radiation of the underdark
1: wild magic radiation
0: yeah and so like i still have all those effects there in Agalok as sort of like oh it's a spooky haunted forest um but in the context of the module it's like you are going to down into this myconid colony in the underdark and then once you get there there are like corrupted spores in the air that Uh, from the fair's rest and whatnot, that if you um, take the long rest, then you have a nightmare that, like, you are trapped in, like, a maze of these giant mushrooms until you are, again, like I said, like, enveloped by the forest of mushrooms. It's a different theme thing, but, like, I just turned it into my spooky forest thing. It all lines up with Um, So the party has to set out from uh they have to set out from the SOS pickup point first so basically it's like there's this point this primary drop off off point on the coast that's designated as like an emergency location that agents can be picked up from if like something goes wrong while they are stationed in Egglock. It's like if there's a squad of agents and then an encounter goes south and one of them is like badly injured or killed. And another one is like incapacitated. Then one can like just go to this point And even if he can't make contact with the MPOC or anything, eventually a boat is going to come and they're going to get picked up there. The, party here is being dropped off by one of these boats and this is where they set out from and so um from there uh they're generally able to like avoid most of the natural hazards in the forest as they're traveling like it's a funny thing because in my like in my doodles for this one there I'll include in the show notes Uh, you'll see I've got drawings of, of, uh, violet fungi. You know, violet fungi, they're, like, a very low-level threat in D&D. They're a fungus that whips at you.
1: No, you know, I don't actually know those ones offhand. I'm going through uh, my mental index of low-level D&D shrooms, and I was thinking, like, shriekers? No?
0: No, they're, like, they're often found right like near them like i often find it violet fungi and they're are in the same encounter hmm. as shriekers uh but Val- violet fungi have like a five foot speed a 10 foot reach and it's basically like they lash out at you with tentacles i guess they're kind of like what i think of triffids as being except they don't make you go blind um they do necro damage the the interesting thing about them is because they use these tendrils to attack you Um, their normal stat block is like 1d4 attacks. Like, you don't know how many attacks they get per round up front. Um, However, uh, it should be said, I also, I mentioned my doodles, so I have a pretty, uh, I'm pretty proud of the drawing I did of the party of Gent, Connor, and Hexakila in the uh, page of my notes that I included for this episode, um, but it also helps because in there, it says that at time of that drawing, uh, which the note, p- the page also says at the top that it was done, um, I was sort of doing those notes both at the end of the previous operation and while running this operation. Uh, at that time, the players were, or the characters were level 17 um we'll even uh i'll get into that more uh later as we'll get into all their uh, items and everything um but at level 17 like violet fungi are are nothing so i beefed up their stat blocks so these guys have eight attacks um but their attack bonus is only plus four so they have a very low chance of hitting anybody with a high ac uh they have a potential to deal uh 2d8 necrotic damage Um, and yeah they're just like they're creepy little fungi without lash out at you they've got blind sight they've got reach and they just move very very slowly they can sort of creep across an underbrush at best
1: doesn't Um, sound like a very fun guy
0: no it's not not that but um point being like these like i have those in the doodles because I was expecting to field them in these encounters, but the players were able to just, like, sneak past them. Like I mentioned, they're so slow, um, and they have reach, but the players were just, like, they were able to spot these things, even though they're pretty difficult to detect. Like, I let them do their whole trioptics, like, roll to sort of scan the underbrush, and they, like, saw stuff, and they were like, you know what, let's just... They also saw, um, do you know, uh... I think they're just called gas spores. They're also like covered in sort of like the fungus section of the monster manual.
1: Yeah, they're just kind of like floating orbs, right? Yeah, but and they, they explode. Look kind... Yeah.
0: Yeah, but they look kind of like beholders, so you have to do a check to see if you think they're a beholder or not.
1: Yeah, they're kind of like a scary or a scaly, rather like a floating, scaly, basketball-sized spore with like little growths coming out of it, right?
0: Yeah, and they also, uh, if you get hit by oh. them, uh, they spread a memory to you. Sometimes,
1: I was like, "Why do I know about these?" Uh, those are in the the adventure with the brain buckets.
0: Oh ah, yeah, I, there you go.
1: Wish I could remember the episode where we talked about it, but uh, yeah, that writhing in the dark.
0: Writhing in the dark. Another, I There's mean, a room one's, full of them. I once coming up later. That's a place that like, uh, you might have seen violent fungi, but I'm, uh, I guess not
1: guess not Um, maybe i did and i just had forgotten about those ones
0: point being like the party is traveling through the forest and they come to this sort of like intersection uh it's not really an intersection the whole it's a forest you know but there is a point basically where they see a group of those uh gas spores and i i don't think they even quite identified what they were But they saw them and we were and they were like, let's just stay the hell away from that. And they like kept a wide berth. um, And then they kept such a wide berth that they also didn't get anywhere near the violent fungi either. And so it was this thing of like for for the first few encounters, they like just managed to avoid any kind of trouble. Um, They did come across a clue. There was a dead night goblin, uh, overgrown with fungus. You could tell that he'd been killed by violet fungi. Um, but, uh, the goblin had notes on him, as well as some gold and a healing potion, greater healing potion, 100 gold each. Uh, but the real thing is he's got these notes on him. He's got like a journal or something. And, um, the, uh, the party was able to read the notes without gaining secondhand madness from them. Classic sort of call a Cthulhu type thing. It's like you read the notes of the madman and now you are at risk of going mad. Oh man, um, I got
1: a real contact madness off of that one.
0: But unfortunately there was like, they were able to just dis- decipher enough of this to basically decide like, Oh, the guy who did this, who wrote this was crazy. And like they passed their madness saves but they didn't invest it like they didn't go through the notes thoroughly enough to pick up on a clue that was gonna come up later on. um It's one of these funny things where it's like it's something that the players still don't technically know, and I'm like not sure if it can really be relevant anymore, but I'm still hesitant to like reveal the information Ooh, in the episode intriguing. Um, Anyway, so eventually they get to the, this, like, Myconid camp that they don't know is there, uh, but it's going to be, like, the first place that they hit on their way to looking for the brain cat mushrooms. And uh, so they get there, and the party helps off to helps to drive off a group of night goblins and a couple of rocks that are attacking the Myconids. Uh, The fungus folk had erected natural barriers to stop the attackers or like grow fungus shields around their encampment. And the party came to the rescue, rushing the enemy from behind to defeat them. Uh, With the raiders dispatched, the barrier was lowered so that the party could enter the camp of Myconids. And here they met King Cap and Queen Issa, rival Myconid sovereigns for the leadership of the many Myconids gathered here at this camp. So the party shows up, places like under siege. Two big ass bird demons, Vrox ain't no ain't no joke. They're serious business, and to take on a couple of Vrox as well as like a squad of night goblins, that uh, they really had to do a serious fight in front of those uh myconids, in front of that Mykonid encampment. You got thoughts on Vrocks? On Vrox? On Vrox? Yeah, rocks, night goblins. Do you remember the difference between night goblins? Oh my god.
1: <laughs> no, Uh-oh. no, I don't, Tom. I am not the goblin uh, aficionado that you are, I'm afraid. Uh
0: no, god we just did this in the last episode though. Night goblins are goblins in the deathlands that are still loyal to the night side eclipse on right. some level, whereas dust goblins are like no longer night loyal to the night side eclipse. I've been saying Night Goblin, just assuming you know what I'm talking about.
1: Well, I remember um, the two. I just couldn't remember which was which.
0: And I mean, I think in fairness, as long as you remember that last episode had Night Goblins featured pretty prominently, you can get sort of the thematic link here of like, oh, Night Goblin's in that one, Night Goblin's in this one. Night Goblin's working with demons in both. Right. Right uh so they find king cap and queen isa who we're gonna need to show the pictures of in the notes as well because these are pictures i got off the internet but uh they are really perfect for these two characters this yeah uh, they're great these two micanid sovereigns that are very different styles um and uh So, like, there's King Cap and Queen Issa, and there's, like, 22 Mykonids, like, a whole bunch of them. But also, Issa also has, uh, she's managed to use her spores to enthrall several of those night goblins to be, like, servants for her as well. So, like, she's able to turn the bad guys onto her side via, like, mind-controlling spores, which is, like, an ability uh, Sovereigns have. Um... While the party is in the uh, encampment, they're also able to take long rests while only risking madness on a on a wisdom saving throw. DC 11. So much easier. But having just, like, saved the Mykonids, like, right in front of them, like, fought off those bad guys, um, the Mycanids, uh reward them with a set of poison-resistant half-plate made from petrified giant fungi um it has a funny it's like you know how magic items can have sometimes just have like a weird little like enchantment on them like uh it makes you feel like this when you're wielding it or whatever Mm -hmm. um this uh petrified giant fungi half plate just makes you like puts you in a good move mood it's like an (laughs) optimist enchantment um it's really funny so this is another one i didn't really cover it last episode i don't think uh no, I think I did. I Where I mentioned how I reused that whole scenario from last time with the Goblin Camp as right. like a Guelph weapons facility in the Shadow Fun Neo-North. Yeah. And similarly, I reused this uh, scenario for Shadow Fun Re- Neo-North. Um, but instead of uh, a Myconid colony or anything like this, I had the party... Basically, it was the same thing where uh, they needed to get like this fungus sample to try and synthesize this vaccine, Uh, although it was a thing where like there was they could either give the sample to the evil corporation that was like going to charge through the nose for the vaccine or give it to like the mages that were going to synthesize it for the people. Um, And of course, they gave it to both so that they could get both rewards but um for that scenario i had them they had to go into uh the algonquin uh park uh to meet up with one of the like uh like one of the encampments I'm trying to remember i it was something i i took from uh neo scavenger do you know N- neo scavenger
1: only because you have talked about it in the past on the podcast
0: okay uh so in neo scavenger there is an anishinaabe tribal nation enclave uh set up in the wilderness and um it's one of the things that's going on in shadow fund neo north is like the nda the northern defense alliance is sort of like cracking down on the like uh indigenous uh revivalist factions and so they have an enclave in algonquin park that the players had to uh go get the fungus sample from and when they get there it's a similar situation where like the leader they they have a dispute between the leader of the enclave and someone who has recently shown up at the same time that a group of mercenaries have shown up and started uh, attacking, which is like what the, the Shadow Fun version of the Night Goblins. And instead of the rocks, they had an assault helicopter backing them up. Um, and so there was a big old shootout in the forest, and that was cool. Uh, but, so Reverend Rollingstock, the transit cleric, who is like a rat man, um, I had him get the... Uh, the poison resistant petrified fungus armor but then the flavoring i had for the optimist enchantment was basically i was like what is uh like whatever reverend rollingstock's equivalent of like his favorite kind of like fast food chicken nugget that's what his armor smells like so whenever he wears it he just feels good because it smells like his favorite kind of nuggets (laughs) um so so anyways that that's one thing is um they get the suit of armor either way because they just saved all the myconids um but under the effects of the myconids communication spores because it should be kept in mind like In order to even talk to the myconids, the players have to take off their their respirator mask, their rebreathers or whatever, to um, be able to inhale the spores that the myconids use to communicate telepathically. But once they're under the effect of those spores, the party learns that the myconids are fleeing the vicinity of the mantle, that uh, big city in the heart of... uh, Agalok that was mentioned by the prisoners in the last episode. Um, Because the mantle is ruled by these vicious human slavers who have begun expanding their operations. And so the Mykonids are just like trying to get the hell away from there so that they don't end up being like captured by these uh, weird human supremacist slavers from the mantle. But while they've been trying to get away, they've been dogged by these demonic forces and kim king cap firmly believes that queen isa is a traitor and she's in league with those same forces queen isa on the other hand like she says that she's just got her own myconid colony and they should be working together she's not like the fact that the demons have shown up that at the same time she has is not her fault uh she's got these enthralled night goblins probably doesn't look good for her case, but like her claim is that she's just trying to turn the enemy to her side, you know, do what she asked to sur- to survive. So Queen Issa is protesting her innocence, but more importantly for the party, uh, is Issa claims to know the location of the brain cap mushrooms that Therian is looking for. And this is the whole sort of crux of the, module uh, quest for Spore Dome is that you have this decision. It's like there's the Myconid sovereign that believes that the other sovereign is like corrupted and wants to, wants justice to be done. And then there's the other one that is saying like, no, I'm not. And I can help you get those brain caps. And it comes down to a thing of like, you have to negotiate a deal with uh, the first Myconid king cap is in my version of it of like let us take queen isa with us isa uh go look at like let her bring us to the brain caps. so we can get them and then we will bring her back to you uh so that you can finish rendering judgment so the players uh you know set the cut that deal um and uh upon reaching isa's own colony of myconids which is like half as big as caps like so caps colony had about 22 myconids in it isa has like 10 um but upon going off separately with isa the party decides to side with her um between connor Gent, and Hexaquila, they were like actually i don't like Issa's the one helping us get the brain caps. Um, I don't, I, I guess I don't want to read too much into their, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth because I don't necessarily know too much what their reasoning was. But um, it's an interesting thing. Is like they had because the the thing is the module provides for either option right is there is the possibility that um they side with king cap or or you know whatever he's named in the module i don't think he's named king cap uh but they uh you know, they go off with Issa, but they can bring her back. But if they try to bring her back, that is when she, like, summons her allies. She's like, no, I'm not going back. Like, they are going to execute me if they think that I'm corrupted because I'm a danger to the colony. So if you're going to try and take me back, like, and she whistles and, like, brings in, like, some corrupted ogres. Like, not corrupted, but enthralled ogres, you know, um, and her own colony of myconids to sort of fight back. Alternatively, though, um, if the players go off, reunite her with her colony, and then say, like, you know what, you're free to go, like, we don't agree with, uh, King Cap's assessment, and we'd rather see you go free, um, like, it's made very clear, like, King Cap is not gonna be happy with this, like, you're sort of doing this at the cost of gaining the enmity of the first group of Myconids. um, but that is what the party did in my case. And so they like managed really, they managed to go through this, uh, this adventure or this operation doing like the least amount of combat possible because the only encounter they did really combat encounter was the one outside the Myconid encampment. And they managed to bypass the one with the dangerous sort of flora in the forest and then they also managed to avoid having to fight Issa and her colony and and the enthralled uh like uh allies that she brings to bear um and so the real decision here though is that uh by cutting the oh it should also be said um isa's territory also where the brain caps are growing there's like spores in the air that subject the party again to saves against madness but they all passed they were they were totally fine um but they cut a deal with isa they gained the brain caps they were looking for they gained the loyalty of queen isa and her colony toward the empok and draelic forces going forward and they gained a substantial payment as well um both sides are basically willing to give like a sort of payout as a show of good faith to like, uh, along with the Alliance with like the party's higher ups. Um, but, uh, King cap offers half as much as Queen Issa does, which makes sense because Queen Issa is in a pretty desperate position. Um, but yeah, so they get the brain caps, the loyalty of Queen Issa and her colony towards the Empoc and the Draelic forces going forward. And, twice the gold they would have gotten. All it cost them was the enmity of King Cap and his colony. And I was asking you before the session who you would side with just based on the pictures, and you you said King Cap.
1: I mean, he looks pretty pretty cool, and uh, she looks pretty evil.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the trick, right? But, uh, you know, I guess... I don't know. Uh... Maybe, uh, I don't want to get too political, but maybe we're just in the mood to believe women at the time. Know what I'm saying?
1: Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. It's different, though. This actually, uh, usually you you conclude your segment by asking if I have any questions, and my question for you this time might uh, might put this in more context, which is, how did you role play these mycated folk? Did you give them like interesting traits or quirks of speech or personalities? Considering they're like mushroom people,
0: I mean, uh,
1: because how I... you how you role played her could totally influence the decision too, right? Is sure her her artwork might look kind of evil, but if you're role playing her as being really nice, that might take precedent in the player's mind.
0: So I only really played the two sovereigns and I think for them, the main thing I was going for with this, I was this idea of like regal, you know, regality. Um, So, you know, King cap makes big prop proclamations about the safety of our people. Uh, Whereas queen Issa is just trying to reason with you people. It doesn't, it's, it's not her fault um so i don't know the thing is i now i keep thinking of like uh because we were just talking about it i've been watching that show the traitors and i keep thinking about like what what people react to and whatnot is like what what people react to as shifty or not hmm i don't know
1: why because do you think
0: i'm sure isa I'm sure presented herself as like you know protest you know she protested her innocence right yet you know she did not protest too much at least in the opinion of the players i have to assume
1: Hmm. okay cool man i like mushroom folks and i really do like the the art that you got for king calf like that's just great he looks so good
0: yeah i uh i was really happy with both of them um yeah, I guess the uh, one thing that I want to say is, like, while the, like, I think this module is generally pretty well designed in terms of, like, setting up things that are coming up later in the that season of the Adventurers League, like, with the brain caps and everything. Um Like, I'm pretty sure they even have a thing later on, where there is some involvement with the Myconids, but I wish that they had more... They, I wish that they had gone more in-depth about the results of the choice that you make here. I feel like the stuff written in the module down the line where the Myconids come back is written in with the assumption that you sided with King Cap, because it doesn't have any special difference based on whether or not you sided with one or the other and i guess i'm just sort of assuming that because queen isa is like presented as like like if if they because the the primary route of the module is that they take isa as a captive to help them but then say they're going to bring her back. But then if they try to bring her back, inevitably, inevitably that leads to sort of the finale encounter where they fight Queen Issa and her um, allies. Although there's also a whole thing about like King Cap and their Mykonids get upset if they kill, if the players kill Queen Issa, um, like while they have her captive as well. Like the Mykonids want to deliver justice personally and they'll get mad if you like bring back Queen Issa's body rather than bringing her back alive. Mushroom politics, man.
1: Mushroom politics.
0: But I, I just think it's notable that like the sort of third major encounter out of three depends on the betrayal of Issa.
1: Now here's another question for you. How do your players react to encounters like this like with creatures like mushroom people i I guess the context i'm asking it in is you know when when they meet the myconids and king cap comes out and you show them that artwork are your players such like seasoned role players and adventurers that they just sort of nod sagely or does it do you get big reactions out of them when you're like now it's mushroom people and they're like
0: whoa what um I feel like we may have been playing by text at this point. But uh-huh. I feel like I feel like they definitely uh reacted positively. Like, so the thing is I'd kind of foreshadowed out that there was gonna be myconids because they're told to like keep an eye out and report micinids if they see them. Um But yeah, there was definitely a reaction where they saw the art and they were like awesome. Uh, you know, said something like that. But uh yeah, generally, you know, they, they, you know, I think about, like, Hexakila is a lizard, lizard man. He's, like, he, he reacts pretty normally to most things. They're also pretty high level, so they've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Like, Hexakila's been on Adamantine Chef, where, like, the troglodyte god of hunger was one of the judges. That's um, what I
1: mean. Like, that's sort of what I'm getting at, because... The campaign that I'm running that I started in, in 2020, like pretty shortly after the pandemic uh, kicked off. The at the time, the players in that campaign were all very new to DD. And so, like, everything was a new experience to them. Every new encounter, they're like, oh wow, what do we do? And it's been interesting watching them sort of evolve as players up to the present, where I can still surprise them, but i guess just by virtue of the fact that not everything is new at this point like you you can i I can really see the difference in this group between newcomer role players and like seasoned adventurers
0: um there was one more thing i was gonna say oh it's that um we've been talking previously i had been musing about whether or not uh uh, Chantel had originally expected Gent to be played as like a mimic based Kenku. Um, yeah. so I asked her and she was like, no, uh, particularly when we were looking at like playing via text, she was like, that would have just been very difficult to, Oh yeah, of like course. it would have been super frustrating. Like it just getting basic ideas across, um, so yeah, we we just bypass that and it's fine because like Ken, Jen is even like as a Kenku, she's not the regular type because she's technically like a megpie avian uh of like so like a sub type of avian that just like qual- classifies as a Kenku. But um before we move on, I just wanted to mention uh the loadouts I got for our main characters here um that i have in our uh in the doodles included in this note so we got gent at level 17 kenku thief rogue and act five worm they got trioptics rebreather cape of the Mountebank. bank do you know that magic item
1: cape of the Mountebank, bank no
0: oh man uh this is a classic uh this cape smells faintly of brimstone while wearing it, you can, cast, you can use it to cast the dimension, sp- sp- bleh, dimension Door spell as an action. This property of the cape can't be used again until the next dawn. When you disappear, you leave behind a cloud of smoke, and you appear in a similar cloud at, of smoke at your destination. The smoke lightly obscures the space you left, and the space you appear in It dissipates at the end of your next turn. A lighter, stronger wind disperses the smoke.
1: It's like, uh, you get a one-time Nightcrawler ability.
0: Yeah, it's Until really Until the useful. next day. It's, it's a really, really handy, uh, item, actually. Um, uh, Gent has Kevlar armor, which basically functions, uh, like physical mage armor, or, uh, yeah. Because it's, uh, AC equals 13 plus, uh, dex uh she's got a bag of holding or, or they've got a bag of holding they're carrying a big old sack in their hand Uh, they've got a portable hole. Maybe that's the sack in their hand and the sack on their belt is actually the bag of holding. They got a handy (laughs) haversack. Well then maybe one of the things is a handy haversack. One of the things is a portable (laughs) hole. And one of the things is a bag of holding. They got a belt of dwarven kind, uh, which we've talked about. Um, we decided they don't grow a beard from it, but they grow like a big white plumage as a, as a magpie. Um, and then uh, also gives them constitution bonus advantage on checks with dwarves and the ability to speak dwarven uh, and read dwarven is very useful. Uh, their weapon there is the plus two vicious life-stealing rapier of wounding, also known as the vile rapier uh, acquired in Sitra Acra while, uh, while uh, rescuing uh, the party... From Lilith Coliseum. Did I mention this thing about how I realized that uh, I'd been pronouncing Ctrarha yeah, wrong? Yeah,
1: you've mentioned it a couple of times now.
0: Yeah, I've had. I've the thing is, I have to remember to make the correction on the show and in my game because I say it in my game, and then I'm like, man, it's not pronounced the way I thought it was. <laughs> anyway, um, then Jen has got boots of speed, and then they've got the Iune Stone of Awareness circling their head. So we talked about Ioun stones last time. The Ioun stone of awareness prevents you from being surprised. At least I think that's what it is.
1: These are great illustrations, man.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, can't be surprised while this dark blue rhomboid orbits your head. Uh, I think I did it differently. I think I had them be little stones with like different colored runes on them. Anyway. Connor Blumhart. level 17 half orc life cleric of paylor act five worm he's got the trioptics he's got the rebreather he's got a cloak of displacement you can see he's got like one of those displacer beast tentacles hanging off his back uh because he's got a cloak made from a displacer beast hide uh that's a really good item do you know the cloak of displacement
1: yeah, that's the one that uh, it gives you the, the shimmery effect of the Displacer Beast, right? It makes you harder to hit, I think.
0: Yeah, it basically works like the spell Blur. Uh, so enemies have a disadvantage to hit you. Um, but if they hit you, it stops working until you go around without being hit again. So it's sort of like a, a one-time shield thing that has to like regenerate, you know? It's cool, though. It's like uh, it's like what I, I imagine those uh, different types of special high-tech armor they have in the G.I. Joe RPG is like. Oh, yeah. Vibro armor or something. Anyway, uh, Connor's got pyro-heavy armor, so he's fire-resistant heavy armor. He's got a bag of holding. Uh, he's got a belt of hill giant strength. He's got a Hephaestus sawed off shotgun. He's got an arrow catching shield in the style of a riot shield with uh, like a little slit to look through. And then he's got boots of elven kind. Then finally, we have Hexakila Calavera, level 17 lizard folk brute fighter slash barbarian, Act 5 Wormoroboros. He's got trioptics, rebreather, the cloak of the bat, which you can use to turn into a bat. I don't think he ever used it for that, though. He mainly used it for the stealth bonus. Uh, Pirapt to Proof against Poison, allowing him to bite whatever he wanted without fear of being poisoned. Because it makes him immune to poison. Pirapt to Proof against Poison is a phenomenal magic item. Do you know this one?
1: No. I, I was racking my brain, but I think I, I know the Amulet of Proof against Detection. I'm more familiar with the other proof against stuff.
0: So, pure of proof against poison. This delicate silver chain has a brilliant cut black gem pendant. While you wear it, poisons have no effect on you. You're immune to the poison condition and have immunity to poison damage. This is a wondrous item. It is rare. It is not attunement. So you can cure your whole party of the poison condition by passing this thing around. That's what we've learned about it. Man.
1: (laughs) Hacks. OP. Yeah,
0: it's pretty great. Um, Hexakila is wearing the robe of eyes. We talked about this one when he yachted, I think.
1: Yeah, it looks great in that that drawing you did.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm also really proud of how I nailed uh, his Apollo laser pistol, which is a signature weapon, uh, but also the fact that he's a he's a Gila monster, uh, yeah, lizard man. He's a big, thick tail hanging down and everything. Um, he's got bracers of defense all, uh, bound up over his sleeves. Uh, I mentioned the laser pistol. He's got the lit crucifist scimitar in his hand that doesn't have the, uh, laser pistol. Uh, he's got, levitation boots they've got little buttons on them so he can hit them and uh, activate the levitating ability uh, he's got a ring of cold resist which uh never really did much for him uh until eventually ended up giving it to frosh gula who's actually been able to make a uh, pretty fair use of it <laughs> which is funny um and then hexakila has an Iune Stone orbiting his head. He has an Iune Stone of Regeneration. Uh, this one's pretty cool. It's funny because it's like, the Ion Stone of Reservation, or uh, of Regeneration, uh, seems, like, to me, the idea of having um, a Regeneration item or ability in Dungeons & Dragons is like, hugely hugely powerful like i thought like it was going to be like a next level item Uh, but you regain 15 hit points at the end of each hour this pearly white spindle orbits your head provided you have at least one hit point so really it's good for like healing up on a long rest for like you know, without using resources, but it's not actually a thing to like keep you in a fight because it only heals you every hour and it only works if you're still conscious. And then of course, just like everyone else, Hexakila has a bag of holding.
1: <laughs> Naturally. Hey, uh, Tom, uh, I see here, you know, you mentioned gent has a, a bag of holding and a portable hole yeah what happens when you put a portable hole on a bag of holding
0: and uh, and it gets all fucked up it ruins it (laughs) they specifically have that in the rules
1: of course that's in the errata somewhere
0: it's not even an errata it's like i guess it's something that's so it's like a rule they had to add to dungeons and dragons so early in its inception it's because it's the first
1: thing anybody asks
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, so I'm on bag of holding right now. It says, placing a bag of holding inside an extra-dimensional space created by a handy haversack portable hole or similar item instantly destroys both items and opens a gate to the astral plane. <laughs> the gate originates where the one item was placed inside the other cool. Any creature within 10 feet of the gate is sucked through it to a random location on the astral plane. The gate then closes. The gate is one way only and can't be reopened,
1: man. There's, there's the, the first adventure of your new campaign right there. It'd be a fun we gotta, setup
0: we, we gotta find jimmy the wise guy who is too wise for his own good
1: gotta search through all the different all uh, the astral plane to to find the missing wise guy
0: i'm sure jimmy the wise guy has got a devil with his name in its book so <laughs> we'll go to hell first and uh check the records
1: I like your uh, your illustration of uh, what is it? This uh, Jamaican privateer,
0: yeah, Jamaican Ranger, Jamaican Rangers. Yeah, I was just uh, working on my little uh, Loyalist American Revolution dudes around that time. Jamaica Rangers, pretty pretty interesting case. Didn't see a lot of action the Jamaica Rangers. No, didn't really have that big battle in the American Revolution where the Jamaicans showed up.
1: Man, I I don't even know about that battle.
0: That's that's the thing is I don't think it ever happened. No, <laughs> I, think that, I think the Jamaican Rangers were just in garrison for like their whole existence. So
1: so is over it time? Your
0: end of time? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, I, I'm, I'm ready. Why don't you just, uh, have, have your, your AI rant, man, because I don't know if I have anything to add to that side of the conversation necessarily. I certainly don't judge anybody who dislikes all the AI stuff that is out now, be it, you know, mid journey or stable diffusion or chat GPT or what.
0: Um, I think some people, uh, who are worried about this um have every reason to be worried about it because it proves that what they are putting into the world is completely fucking redundant
1: oh now that is a hot take
0: like you think of the amount of uh like that we literally have the term shovelware for the sheer amount of like meaningless crap that exists in steam alone and i thought about like Really, the thirty percent, like the low, the lower thirty percent of almost anything, any medium, like flash games, uh, like Wikipedia articles, uh, fan fiction, uh, like university TV essays. shows, <laughs> yeah, anything. I think that generally genuinely like the bottom 30% of the creative output is so redundant and like meaningless that AI is just going to like highlight that because that's where I see AI at now is like, wow, no one ever needs to write a shitty like derivative fantasy novel that says nothing new in its entire existence. Ever again, because an AI can just do that now. I got a um, I got a
1: prime example of the kind of thing you're talking about, and it's not even like like low effort stuff, but uh, it's sort of an example of like ex- exactly what kind of content will no longer need to be generated. My dad was setting up an event uh, calendar. He helps run uh, an like a performance space uh, in the town where he lives. And he's setting up the event calendar and not all the performers provided him with blurbs about their show. So he was tasked with writing, you know, a dozen like three sentence summaries of the different events that just go on the event calendar. And then as soon as the event is over, that that summary is just ditched and he used chat GPT for it. And that's exactly the kind of like, you know, we we no longer need to just sit down and take the time to describe what a show is going to be in basic terms. Now a now a, a chatbot can do that work for us. And it's the same with all that, just like, that, that content that is so minimal effort.
0: We no longer need to produce shovel art.
1: Shovel art. Shovel content. Because
0: we have an infinity of it now. Like, there's no need to put something into the world if you're not putting something unique out into the world. It's funny because I say this, even knowing that like what I created with chat, like what I created with chat GPT, uh, in ceremony and shadow was like, I immediately acknowledged, like you could do this. Like, this is just like a very simplified specific version of like world of darkness or call of Cthulhu. Like it's got a lot of the same, basic principles um and it doesn't need to exist you know uh that said i don't think that this is going to stop people from creating shovel content oh heck no uh,
1: you're just not going to be able to tell if the shovel content was made by a person or a machine
0: that's the thing that's so crazy and that's that's what i think people genuinely have to be worried about like man I think it's so funny because there's people on my, uh, Facebook who are like professors who get into the whole thing about like, you know, uh, essays written by bots and stuff. And I'm like, how many essays have you read that were actually like really thoughtful contributions to academic discourse? And how many of them were like, uh, oh, geez, I really don't want to fail this course. And I've got one day. <laughs>
1: My, my sister actually had a, a hot take on this as well, because I was talking to her about it and uh, she works in biology and uh, she was saying like, this is her, her hot take on the whole system. She said for your, like your bachelor degree or just like the degree that you're not your graduate degree, just like your basic degree, you should just get that for completing the assignments because you're paying for it. So you should just be able to get that by, you know, meeting the minimum requirements, handing in your assignments on time, attending the number of classes you need to do, writing the tests. And it's grad school where you actually have to prove that you know the subject. And it's at that point where ChatGPT is never going to help you.
0: Yeah, because at that point, you have to actually say something of relevance. And that is the thing that ChatGPT needs the prompt from you for. Exactly. Like, this is the whole thing about the difference between, you know, what can and can't be created with it. And I mean, you know, maybe that'll change and it'll just become completely indecipherable and who knows. But I, again, it's just a thing of like, uh, I, th- I think the people who have the most to worry about are the people who are like, wasting their time. <laughs> <laughs> which is a Maybe. mean thing to say about people who are like writing fan fiction or whatever but yeah you
1: know. yeah but like i don't know it, it to me i have a hard time imagining someone a writer of fan fiction using chat GPT to write fan fiction because isn't the delight of fan fiction that you are crafting a story out of someone else's idea and like writing it the way you want it like isn't that the point Why would you have a machine do that? I don't know. I'm sure people do, though. Um,
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: But I'm going to talk about how I've been using it. And I don't know, man. It's just it's such a such a touchy subject. I know some people are just so angry and they they say, you know, like. There is no context in which you can use this in an ethical way.
0: I think I should also just say like I'm very much of the opinion that like robots doing your work for you should not be a bad thing. Isn't it like what I understand I underst- for? isn't that like the Jetsons future that, that we want? We- it's sort of become a bad thing in certain ways, but like it's it's not supposed to be. When robots start doing all our work, we should be able to chill out. Unfortunately, you know, I think we talked about scarcity issues and stuff in the past
1: capitalism like, you, know, you know uh the guy yeah. friend of ours mike townsend he had a a good quote about this where he said only capitalism could take an infinite wonder machine and make it a bad thing
0: yeah um, it's like, yeah
1: that's that's sort of where we're at and and
0: we just got to make sure our ais give us uh powerful weapons to fight the man with <laughs> um but I don't this know. road goes to only good places I'm not I certainly <laughs> <AI> <laughs> arms race
1: <laughs> I'm sure um I'm certainly not here to debate or contemplate the grander applications for or possible misuses of this technology. uh we touched upon some some potential stuff the last time we talked about this, like I really think that you were on to something about an AI that can help your doctor diagnose you. I think that is a, a real, that would be a huge boon.
0: I mean, it's it's just Star Trek. It's exactly, just, yeah, it's just Star, it's just Star Trek. That's what the st- doctors in Star Trek do. They ask the computer, hey, what does this sound like?
1: But you know what they never do on Star Trek? They never play D&D with chat GPT. And so far, as far as the
0: uses Applic- I mean, they do the hollow deck, and the holodeck deck seems oh, to do yeah. a lot of oh, heavy right. lifting. I
1: guess, I guess you're actually right. I guess that's they're just they, they are larping. They just they they have it. It's, it's like total immersive virtual reality. Um But uh of all the applications and uses that I have toyed around using ChatGPT for, D and D is still the one that i have found the most useful like it's the one that i've still come back to and used over and over uh i mean i haven't tried using chat gpt for anything really all that serious uh besides generating st- ideas you're not supposed to and st- well no but i mean like Got
0: people like some company was saying they used it to like draft legal papers at, no, like, no, 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 that, no you can't do that you idiot no, no no, not that um as well have it do your taxes
1: but like like for fun uh i had it generate a an all original song by wesley willis the musician wesley willis and like you could convince me that it was lyrics to a real wesley willis song but i don't know it was amusing for a second um another use that i have is uh you know den who composed our theme song Uh, He and I are always just messaging each other with just like, you know, our random dumb thoughts, usually about movies. And uh, we were watching uh, what movie was it? It was a movie called Time of the Apes recently, and he came up. With the uh, oh no no it wasn't it was uh, Untamed Mistress which is also an ape movie and the the apes in that are all guys in gorilla costumes and I commented that the the butts of the costumes were poorly fitted because they had these saggy butts on the gorillas costumes and Den said. it's like uh, all the apes shat their pants. And he goes, there's a movie for you. The apes that shat their pants. So I went to chat GPT and I was like, generate a plot summary for the apes that that shat their pants. I said poop their pants because you can't swear on chat GPT. And it gave me a one paragraph summary and we had a laugh about that. I
0: don't know how to react to D- Den saying there's an idea because that's not an idea. That's <laughs> nothing. The apes that shat their pants. What? <laughs> <laughs> Insanity. <laughs> I just don't have pants. No one outside of this context that you just set up would understand where this came from at all.
1: But that's that's my point. Like, I can't
0: that's... just let that slide. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, I mean, fair point. Sorry, no, yeah. Sorry, but yeah, you're fair sorry. point. Well, and or another one was we were watching a, a kung fu movie that starred um, Kung Fu star Cynthia Rothrock. And uh Denise said, I'd like to watch a Cynthia Rothrock movie where she's the matron of an orphanage, and then like a sleazy land developer tries to kick them out of the only home they have, her and all the orphans, so they spring into action to take them down. And so I was like, Chat GPT, give us a plot for that. And it generated like it looks like a three-paragraph summary here the full plot of this imaginary movie, which it's titled The Warriors of the Orphanage. So, like, I use it for that stuff for, you know, a the few... orphanage with The Orphanage for a few laughs, but the only use that I've found for it where I actually end up using what it makes is stuff for D&D. And we began... Uh, the last time we talked about this, we were talking about this uh, adventure that I wanted to run where I wanted it to be like an epic kind of Helm's Deep adventure as a, a break because I had done a lot of sort of jokey comedy adventures. And I wanted like a big epic battle one. And you fed in, you know, some prompts to chat GPT, gave, spat out some ideas. We settled on one where a tribe of frost giants was, was going to attack a village and the heroes had to help defend the village. And so I took that one and I ran with it. And I I gotta say, like, it's, it's really, it's, it continues to blow me away how useful this is as a launch point for my own ideas. I never uh, just like straight copy and paste something. I'm always sort of revising and, and fine tuning what it generates, but it gives me enough to go on that it saves me so much time in creating adventures. Because uh, normally what I do, like, I don't know, this is this is sort of a facet of the discussion that uh, I figured you probably have some opinions on too. But like, when you're creating an adventure for your players, it sounds like you, like I do, start by you sort of have an idea of like what needs to happen as far as the plot of the campaign but you've probably also got like something some pre-existing thing in mind like it sounds like you start with uh like a lot of adventurers league modules right
0: i start with what mcgill
1: adventurers league modules tom
0: not Metal albums, No. Me- okay,
1: yeah, oh, no, no, metal albums.
0: <laughs> I mean, that. but you... Used... Sorry, I'm really coming at you this episode. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, it's the, the metal albums you use for the campaign. I'm talking about an adventure.
0: Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, yeah, that, but also, like, there's always the starting point of the track that I am using from the album, right?
1: Right. So, at what point do you bring in, like, you, for... For all that I I committed the faux pas of suggesting you start with the Adventurers League modules... No, that was a joke too. You do do use them a lot. So where in your process does that come in? Do you start like, you're like, okay, so we're we're on track two and uh, you you listen to the song and you look at the lyrics and you're like, what can I glean from this? But when you do that, are you also thinking like, like you read the lyrics and you go like, this is kind of like the Adventurers League module x
0: no it's funny i generally keep them pretty separate where like you know the the real thing is that i'd always been doing the uh thing where i base it off the tracks but i didn't start introducing the element of the modules until al's aces um at which point i just started throwing the modules down like in order of their release more or less all right um and Part of that is, like, I intentionally keep that decision separate. Like, like I, you know, I'm not letting my one hand see what the other is doing uh, because it's almost like that then challenges me and sort of forces me to come up with a combination of the two things uh, that is, uh, you know, interesting for me to discover.
1: So what I tend to do is I tend to start with... The idea of the type of adventure I want to run, uh, usually, like, well, I always know where in the grander plot this adventure is going to take place, but I'll, you know, maybe brainstorm a few different ideas, look at some Adventures League modules, especially ones you've recommended, or I'll even ask you for recommendations like I did recently, where I was like, I want to do one where the players are infiltrating a facility and you recommended a few to me. So usually I'll start by, like, get an idea for the adventure in my head, and then I'll go to adventurelookup.com, and I'll start searching for some keywords to find existing modules and resources that are a similar kind of adventure to the one I want to run. And I'll, you know, look through a few of those, find pieces that work for me and, you know, maybe want to adapt them. And uh, sometimes I'll luck out and I'll just find, like, you know, an, an adventure from Dungeon Magazine that is exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for. All I have to do is change a few names, and uh, there we go, I can use it. But um, it's it's research. It's a lot of research. And uh, it can take a lot of time if I have something in mind and I can't find any really good examples of it. But uh, so the the way in the past that I have been doing it Is really just like a little bit of everything. A little bit of what I got in my head, a little bit of what is already written down, a big sort of mashup of the different resources. Uh, But I tend to because, I don't know, man, these days, especially I've been playing a lot online and I always feel like it's more worth doing a completely from the ground up, all original thing. When it's going to be like a big event, like where everybody you manage to get every all your players together in person, something like that. Um I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of I'm, I'm bl- babbling on a bit about like as a DM, should you go all original or should you just use pre existing modules? Should you go for the middle ground? Is there even an answer to all of this?
0: I mean, the thing you just said about like you know you rather go from the top like full imagination put all the work into it if you know it's going to be like a big event thing i think that makes sense yeah
1: um but for something like in the past week where i had committed to uh dming two adventures in a week and i committed to it like over a month ago and had no way of anticipating that i'd actually wind up with a lot of like just day job work to do during that week I turned to ChatGPT for a bit of help using the stuff that you and I had discussed as a launch point. I want to do this adventure where a tribe of frost giants is going to lay siege on a small, largely defenseless town, and the villagers, or uh, sorry, the heroes have to team up with the villagers, reinforce the town's defenses, and you know uh, call for aid from a from a neighboring settlement and then play through a big epic battle scene i had all this in my mind you and i had sort of workshopped these ideas with chat gpt on the podcast and so immediately i had a sense of what the the stru- like what the structure is going to be and so um i started asking chat gpt for ideas that I could use. Uh, for example, I said, write a complete detailed Dungeons & Dragons encounter where the player characters have to reinforce the walls of a fort in advance of an oncoming siege. Include flavor text, a challenge involving the party rolling on their skills. Describe a consequence uh, of the encounter if the players fail to reinforce the walls. Describe a reward if they succeed in reinforcing the walls. And it gave me, like, about one page worth here. You know, as you approach the fort, you see it has seen better days. The walls are worn and crumbling. The gates creak ominously in the wind. A worried-looking guard approaches you and explains the situation. A tribe of giants is approaching, and the fort must be reinforced before the siege begins. You have been called upon to help with this vital task. Um, Already, I had to rewrite that because it keeps on talking about the fort instead of the village. But um, then it generated like different potential things Uh, I I just asked it to describe like an encounter where they reinforce the walls but it spat out a bunch of ideas here repair the palisade wall it's uh it's a strength check dc15 fill sandbags and then place them along the walls and other strategic locations can use your strength or dexterity dc12 to fill the sandbags and carry them where they're needed Repair the drawbridge. I changed this because I wanted it to be uh, gates instead of a drawbridge like a fort. But here it says, you know, the drawbridge is broken, needs to be repaired. Uh, If a player has proficiency in carpenter's tools, they can repair the drawbridge. Um, Archery practice. The fort's archers need to be trained and prepared to fire upon the enemy. Players can use their proficiency in ranged weapons to train and lead the archers. Gather supplies. The fort is running low on food. So I I kind of loved what it's set up there and it didn't it didn't fulfill my initial request, but it gave me this idea like, okay, instead of just having them like reinforce the walls, I should give my players a short list of different activities that they can do. And then if they succeed in those activities, unbeknownst to them, I will give them a bonus related to those things in the final battle. So I, I already had this idea where I was like, okay, you know, I had all these options and we can have the players do it like a skill check challenge and then it'll pay off later on. And then I went, okay, and there should also be conditions for failure. And it was about this point where I was like, okay, so so what can what can all the different bonuses and failure uh, penalties B. And so I asked ChatGPT again. I said, can you give me some like numerical bonuses or ad- other advantages based on the D&D rules that the heroes can get if they succeed in their challenges? And it says here, uh, repairing the palisade wall. Uh, I, I like how wishy-washy the chat gets by saying maybe this. It goes... Uh, maybe they gain a bonus to their armor class when being attacked by enemies outside the walls. The bonus could be in the range of plus two to plus four, depending on, uh, on how well they succeed at their check. And it's very similar to these things, uh, you know, same with sandbags is, uh, they can get a bonus, uh, while attacking enemies outside the fort by hiding behind the sandbags. Uh, plus two bonus to ranged attacks. Um... They repair the drawbridge. The enemy gets disadvantage on attack rolls against the defenders for a certain period of time. Archery practice. Uh, it, the archers gained advantage on their attack rolls against the enemy, and I had it mean that anyone, including the player characters, you know, not just the NPCs who are trained, but the player characters, if they use archery against the enemy outside the walls, they get advantage on the attack if they take part in the archery practice. And uh, for supplies... Uh, I had it... I I based this off of ChatGPT's idea where uh, the defenders can gain temporary hit points or a bonus for a certain period of time. So had it be that if the players successfully gathered supplies and uh, with a survival or nature check, then they get uh, one extra hit die of HP for the duration of the siege encounter. Temporary HP. Um... And so I went on and on where I would think of, like, sort of the challenge I wanted to create or the plot point I wanted. And any time I got stuck uh, and couldn't think of, like, something good myself, I just asked the chat for inspiration the way you would an assistant. Uh, You know, I think... um, can't remember if you said this, or if it was our friend Grant, because I was talking to Grant about using ChatGPT to to generate D&D content, and he said he didn't realize how uh, you could art-direct the chat. And that's really what... That's like the key thing I find for the the use for it. Uh, Anything... Any original thing you try to get it to make is going to be very, very samey. But it's great, in my opinion... When you can say something like, um, well here, write a detailed encounter uh, following the scene where the heroes reinforce the walls in in anticipation of a siege. In this new encounter, the heroes must seek the aid of a nearby village, hoping the villagers will volunteer as troop reinforcements. However, an event in the past has resulted in the neighboring village being wary of helping the inhabitants of the village." I include flavor text, a challenge evolving the party rolling on their skills. Describe a consequence at the end if they fail or if they succeed. And again, it just like spat out this big thing. And I only used maybe half of it. But just sort of being able to ask it and be like, here's what I want. Can you like fill in the blanks on that? And then you get something and uh, and you can refine it as you see fit. And I went on and on and on and i wound up with uh
0: you can ask it to add warhammer flavor to something that it'll do it
1: yeah exactly like a good example is um i can't find it unfortunately in my in my notes here but i know it's here uh i used an npc uh from the forgotten realm setting harshnag do you know harshnag
0: uh it sounds familiar harshnag
1: is a legendary frost giant who's like a nomadic hero he's got a
0: oh no it only sounds familiar because you told me about him from uh when you were telling me about your thing
1: yeah that's probably it but uh so i have harshnag show up and he had appeared in an earlier adventure so the players already knew him and they were coming to you know help him and uh well, actually, here, uh, here's, here's what I said. Uh, I said, Tell me what Harshnag says when he greets the players at the start of the adventure. And ChatGPT says, Welcome, adventurers. We're in dire straits here. The village is about to be besieged by a powerful enemy force, and our defenses are in shambles. We need all the help we can get to reinforce the walls and prepare for the coming battle. We're short on time, so we need you to work quickly and efficiently. Can we count on you to lend a hand? And I was like, that's just really generic. So I said, make, make him sound more like a Viking. And it did, this is, it's like, just find replace on it, but it works. So in greetings warriors, we are in dire need of aid. Our village will soon be beset by a fierce foe and our defenses are in disrepair. We need all the might and skill that you can muster to shore up the walls and prepare for the coming onslaught. Time is short, we must act with haste and efficiency. Will you pledge your steel to our cause? Awesome. I love that stuff. I love just being able to be like, no, 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 like more like this. It really does make me feel like, I don't know, like the director man, like a like a CEO with an assistant. So uh, I wound up with a like a a proper full document of a full adventure. Uh, I, I had it structured in three phases. As I said, phase one is like preparing the village. For the attack phase two is going to the neighboring settlement and there's a a skill test there but it's all like social skills you know are they going to try and intimidate the neighboring dwarves into helping them or are they going to make an appeal to them uh you know to uh, to say you know to to be be true and good and and help those in need um and then the final uh section of it which I would say makes up probably about half, made up half of the actual adventure was the Siege. And uh, for the Siege, I also, again, like I used ChatGPT and I gave it sort of a launch point where I was like, okay, uh, the Siege, I want it to go in three sections as well. I want there to be a ranged attack by the Giants at first, and then the Giants breach the walls and the players actually have to engage the Giants in close combat. And then for the final part of it, I want just everything to start going crazy, I uh, put the players on the on the back foot. And then in sort of the background of all this, have Harshnag kill the leader of the Frost Giants and become the new Chieftain. And so it's, it's really just sort of like a countdown timer until the battle ends at a moment where... I deem dramatically appropriate. And so, uh, again, I turn to ChatGPT for ideas. It suggests a catapult assault for the first section of it and making it like a skill challenge with a lot of dexterity saving throws. And then, you know, the giants breach the wall. And here's the thing about frost giants, Tom, is they are challenge rating six. And that's pretty high. So I, I... just, I was like, what am I going to do here? This is a pretty, pretty high-level menace for my players to be facing off on a whole tribe. What do you think I did?
0: You asked chat GPT to come up with some lower-level ones? Just
1: make me a CR2 Frost Giant stat block. And it did. But it gave the Frost Giant a magic ability. I didn't want it to have any magic ability, so I said, do it again without the magic ability. And it did. And there it is. I didn't have to adapt anything. Man, that's great. That's so handy. Um, So, what I also had done while I was relying, sort of like, I wouldn't even say relying, while I was sort of playing catch, tossing ideas back and forth between myself and ChatGPT, at the same time, I was going to our our old buddies on Reddit in the r slash maps subreddit, which is just an infinite resource for maps of all kinds. Every kind of encounter map. Man, I'm looking at it right now and already I'm getting inspired by the top few posts. There's a really good uh, random encounter. It's just a gulch with a river going through it, but it's got like all these different levels to it. That would be a really fun encounter to do. Uh, And here's a, here's a fantasy police station someone put up. So I went to dndmapsredditcom reddit.com r slash dndmaps, and I started looking for maps that I liked uh, of walled villages. And I finally found one. And now I had something else to go on. And so I could go back to ChatGPT, brainstorm even more, and I have got my setting. And then I did this whole process again to write another adventure for the other, uh, adventure that I'm DMing tonight, because in that one, the players were, uh, they, they got involved with some Modrons, and there aren't a lot of just Modron-based adventures out there I found. Certainly none where the Modrons have taken over a city, which is the situation the players found themselves in. So I'm doing the same thing here. Went to the DD maps subreddit. I found some really cool maps of like a Modron scrapyard. It's full of gears and cogs. And I was like, okay, what scene can I set in the scrapyard? And
0: are the Modrons in the city hostel? They are. So is there any point where like the players are maybe gonna like kick the hive and the whole city's gonna mobilize against them?
1: Quite possibly. What do you have in mind?
0: There's a freaking... There's a moment I've been meaning to do in a and d game for a million years. It's, uh... I want to have a scene with a swarm of Modrons coming over, like, threateningly coming over the skyline. And I want, uh... It... Uh... I want it to be set to uh, the Algorithms remix of Daft Punk's Harder, Better, Faster, nah, Stronger. That's really good. <laughs> it's really epic. It'd be the most epic thing when the swarm of Doom servitors comes down upon you. Oh,
1: man, that's pretty awesome. I might I might that's have to it, use it. If,
0: if they finally bring back the Modron March, I'm a, that's going to be the theme song I play for it.
1: Anyway, all this to say, uh, using this as an additional resource in my uh, my regular preparations for an adventure has just sped everything up so quickly. No longer do I need to get out the Monster Manual, look up the Frost Giant, and then figure out a good way to scale it down so that it can be approximately challenge rating two. instead I can just say hey give me a challenge rating to frost giant stat block and it generates the whole thing which is it's just so cool I think that's really neat and I will and I will say as well uh, this is a really great resource when you're actually playing the game um, I had this open in a background window and an example here wonder if I can even find it but uh, one of my players before the big battle started said I want to buy some poisons and I was like what kind of oh yeah here we go uh she was like I don't really know what kind of poisons I can buy do you have like some options and price ranges uh and effects and I was like oh geez okay I mean I could just look up one of the gazillion lengthy poison lists uh, that are out there but i said instead
0: just to google 5e poison and there's a great list will come it up there's a
1: big long list but i didn't want to get into the nitty-gritty i just wanted three three different options for this person because we're just in downtime right so i said uh, to chat gpt generate three poisons based on the dnd rules make one poison a paralytic one have a lethal effect and one have a random effect include a price for each And lo and behold, it did! Paralytic poison, a lethal poison, and the random effect poison I really thought was fun. Uh, Pretty powerful. This poison has unpredictable effects on its victims. It's made by combining the venom of a giant centipede with an exotic mushroom. When a creature is exposed to this poison, they must make a DC 16 Constitution saving throw, and if they fail the saving throw, roll a d4 to determine the effects. And the four effects are paralyzed for one minute, takes 66 poison damage, becomes confused for one minute, or is completely unaffected. Makes sense. But again, like, it's just like having a little assistant that you can be like, quick, go find me some poisons. And you don't even have to look at the screen. You can keep the game going while it's all being generated in the background. I guess I guess that's what I'm getting at, ultimately, is uh, not only is this great for for preparing your adventure, but it's also really good for just keeping the game flowing, uh, like I definitely found in running the Siege of the Frost Giants adventure. There was no time where I was like, hang on, I gotta look this up. It, it completely eliminated all the, the stops in the game, and that really helped... Just keep everybody in the adventure, keep everybody in the moment, and make it feel that much more epic. You know, I was going for this big, epic battle feel, and so it gave me more time to focus on just describing things as epic as I can. This battle of these frost giants in a snow-covered village. They're breaking through the, the palisade walls. They're hurling giant rocks through the air. And uh, it just, it turned out great. It turned out really great. And I I don't know, man. Uh, much like those blurbs that my dad was using chat GPT to generate, it's the kind of thing where I would, I would probably, like, except for this show, all the notes that I write for my adventures, they just go into a folder and they never see the light of day again. And so, I don't know, man. I don't really see any... Anything unethical in just cr- using ChatGPT as a tool to help me j- generate this content? That's really just for my friends to have a fun time, and then it goes away. You know, I could see the the muddy uh, ethical quandary if we're talking about like selling this stuff. But for all you DMs at home, this is a really great resource. Completely, uh, completely changed just how I prepared and and how tightly i could run the game Uh, pretty impressive stuff
0: yeah it's pretty wild what a time to be alive uh anything else
1: uh yeah i will say that um i did create uh, most of the stuff most of the uh material outside of like the text of the adventure itself I just found online. I'd go on Google image search and find icons of the NPCs I wanted and I would go to, you know, the D&D map subreddit. There's a similar one that's r slash battle maps that has some modern maps in there too, but still a big focus on fantasy. So I used a lot of pre-existing resources that people had made, but there were a couple of things where I couldn't find like I wanted a really specific look for the big evil frost giant and i i did in fact use uh midjourney to create a, an icon of him and i think it turned out great did i show you this i don't know if i did
0: uh yes i think you did or you showed me four possible options
1: yeah i i just did the 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 basic one where it was it created it gave me four four possible characters uh, and what I love about this one is that one of them that it generated is like a mini fig of it. The, the first one.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, like a little yeah. Figurine of I, the guy. This was what I was thinking of.
1: But I used the uh, the bottom left one. I guess I'll post this on our uh, our WordPress. It looks great. I think it looks really good. So um, just a couple more resources for your your DM toolbox. Do not be afraid to use it in this way. I don't, I don't think this is this particular method of using it is is going to hurt anybody. But, you know, I'm sure someone out there disagrees already.
0: Uh, anything else? I don't think so. Not me. Uh, this has been episode 141, recorded on the 2nd of March, 2023. If you want to see when we post new episodes, follow us, get in touch with us, see us on, uh facebook comparing campaign on facebook we already mentioned it but if you want to see our supplemental materials and show notes check us out on comparing campaign.wordpress.com uh yeah i guess you know don't steal from the ai because it's haunted with the ghost in the machine
1: level up get your ding and all hail our robot overlords